Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Stunt Show. Coming to you from our satellite studio on Yeshiva University's Wolf Campus, I am Daniel Gordon, son, husband, and one quarter of the amazing Stunt Show here on the Nachum Siegel Network. First and foremost, I want to thank ZK for making all of this possible. Through the beauty of modern technology, ZK and I are in separate zip codes, and our guest is in London across the pond, and yet we are able to do this. ZK makes it seamless and smooth, so I want to give him a big thank you before we begin. As always, if during or after the show you realize that you'd like more Daniel Gordon, please email me at daniel at com. I mean this seriously, that your honest comments and feedback about the show are welcome and appreciated, and as always, I hope that this show will gain its inspiration from you, the listeners. This month... Um, Usually I do a little bit more of an intro, but I'm just so excited to welcome my guest because this month I have the great privilege to be joined by actually one of my childhood idols. Um, very few of us get the opportunity to actually say that they got to fulfill a dream of interviewing a, uh, a childhood idol of theirs, and today I get to do just that as I welcome the great king of schlock, Lenny Solomon. Uh, together, we will talk a little bit, then we will listen to some of my favorite and I hope some of your favorite schlock rock tunes, find out the story behind them, and see where it all takes us. So welcome to the show, Lenny. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Lenny, I think the last time we officially spoke was when you came to my four-year-old nursery class, um, when Mower Stacy Siegel was my Mora. Um, I certainly remember that, but that was probably a few thousand shows ago for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, it, it's vague. It's Right now, it's, it's a little hazy. This is when you're supposed to say that that was the most memorable performance, because I was in the audience. That was the most memorable performance because you were in the audience. Perfect. And that's the rest and the end of the interview, everybody. No, um, but seriously, thank you so much for being here all the way from London. Um, uh, we hope your trip was safe. We had a rough week here in New York with the weather, but hopefully uh, it's a little bit uh, easier over there on that side of the pond. Well, it's, it's actually, you know, it goes back and forth between raining and not raining here, but that's the norm. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's England. It's what, it's what I have come to expect whenever I come to London. So um, I really want to go all the way back to the beginning of, uh, of the history of Schlockrock. Um, and that, I guess, starts with you and your life. Um, so for those of us who are lifelong fans who kind of never got the glimpse into really how it all got started for you, um, who were your role models growing up you know, in the music world and how did this all get started? So uh, it's, a, it's a very good question. I so I'll give you a quick uh, quick uh, you know take, we'll take you back to time, through time. Um, so let's see. My father Oliver Shalom took me for accordion lessons when I was eight. I uh, I took ten years of accordion when I was thirteen or so. I was listening to Jewish music. It was ruach. It was Kol Salonika. It was Jep. Um, Shlomo Kalbach. Uh, a little bit also, obviously, because he was, you know, we're still, we're singing 90% of the songs that we sing are his. Um, but it was that, it was, it was Ruach, it was the Diaspora Yeshiva Band. Uh, in the secular world, it was Billy Joel, it was the Beatles. And in, in, um, the, the, the world of parody, it was the Rechnitzer Rejects, it was Country Yussi of the Stiebel Operas. It was Tom Lehrer, it was Alan Sherman, and it was Weird Al. So all those people had influences on me. Um, and, you know, I was writing songs already from, from the time, 1982, I was 21. I wrote a lot of songs, and a lot of them did not get recorded until five years later. 
uh, stuff like Hide Matov, stuff like um, well, Barbanel. I think I wrote as early as '82, but it didn't come out until the first Schlock Rock album, which was 1986. So you know, but but the the influences, I guess, to answer your question, those were my influences, and um, the key was energy. I loved I loved fast music. I'm, I was not really a ballad person. I was more of a fast music person. That's certainly something that we uh, that we get through the music and that passion. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about the halftime show in a little bit, but that's certainly you know all the way till this day something that we see. So then I guess it begs the question of the name because I will tell you that when I was uh, a young guy listening to all of your your music um, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, my friends and I actually formed a band that we called Boys to Mench. Not boys to men, but boys to mench. And we used to just sing random songs um, in my friend's living room. And we thought that was the most creative name. But Schlock Rock is clearly um, up there with the most creative and has kept you, you know, and, and, it, and has been timeless. So how did the name come about? So I don't even know. I, I, it, just, it just came to me. I, I, first thing is Schlock in Yiddish means second hand. So second hand rock, right? Now what we do is we take rock songs and we make them used because they're original, they're, they're pop songs. And then we take the music and we rewrite the words. So you have secondhand rock or schlock rock. Also, uh, now, now that was a very controversial title, very controversial name. People always had an opinion. They either loved the name or they hated the name, but they always talked about it. And I think that was the key. So there were some people that really said, if you really know what schlock meant, you would never have called it schlock rock. This is the farthest thing from schlock. Why are you putting yourself down? And so on and so forth. And all of those criticisms were probably valid, but you know, when you're when you're young, you don't listen to people; you just do what you have to do. It just came to me, and I used it. That's amazing, and I guess that's one of the lessons of uh, of our people is that some uh, always uh, keeping us on our toes and certainly uh, questioning, but uh, sometimes uh, going a little bit too far, I guess. Um, but certainly, it's been amazing, and I guess my you know, keeping on that, it's it's a name that if you ask anybody. Um, for my generation, I will tell you that I am uh, 26 years old, um, so that's my generation. But then you have generations younger than me and older than me, and it's something everybody knows. So what's the secret to the longevity of your success, both in continuing to come out with music but continuing to impact people, not just through the CDs but in person? We, uh, that's, a, it's, that's a tremendous question, and I want you to understand that People always come up to me and say, how do you make it in Jewish music? So I'll give you two answers. The, the, the first answer is, I don't know, because this was all God. Um, I did not plan for Schlockrock to be a career. I, I mean, I remember I, before Schlockrock, I was in a band called Kesher, and it was about the same time. And, I, and, and we put out three albums. One of the songs that became a standard, which I wrote, was Visamachta, Visamachta Bechagecha, which everybody sings on Sukkot or on Sukkot. And, um, you know, the, the goal was not to do Schlockrock for a living. Schlockrock was supposed to be a one cassette fad. I, I never expected it to, to do anything. And all of a sudden, you know, after I put out the first album, you know, around three, four months later, I got a letter from a lady who said, uh, Dear Lenny, um, my brother hates everything about Judaism, but he's listening to your cassette around the clock. Keep up the good work. And so I said, maybe that's what this is for. And then I got a couple of other letters. 
And so I started working on the second one. Also, what was interesting was, you know, usually when you put out an album, you have marketing, you have a whole ad campaign. I had nothing. I did nothing of that. And the phone just started ringing off the hook by the end of 87. And by January 1988, it was a full-time living. And I really didn't have anything to do with that. It was really all God. And um, now I'm not going to tell you that I just let God handle it, then I sat back on my haunches and let and, and let the shows come in. I mean, I worked like a dog. I've played 2,000 shows, and I've worked, and I've, I've traveled around the world, including Australia and South Africa, Canada, England, um, Mexico, um, of course, Israel, where I now live. But the the truth is, and, and, and 43 states now, we've done 43 out of the 50 U.S. states, only seven to go before we, um, before we hit all 50 states. But you know, the, the funny thing is that it was not planned. It was not a, a campaign. It was just Hashem saying, this is what you're going to do for the next 25 years. And now Schlagrock is 28. Wow. Again, you were listening to the Stunt Show here on the Nachum Siegel Network with Daniel Gordon. I'm joined by the king of Schlock himself, Lenny Solomon. So, um... I, you know, when you say that, it really makes me think of um, the Maccabees in some ways, and I don't want to do too much comparing, but I am fortunate to uh, have a couple of good friends and many, you know, just friend, people that I'm friendly with in the group, and listening to you guys, to, to them speak and to you speak, it almost sounds like the same thing, and I guess that's a breath of fresh air for me to know that as a Jewish music fan and somebody who Jewish music has had an impact on their life, that... In, a, in times they're evolving and music that's evolving, but also, you know, just kind of society that groups can continue to have that impact, you with your longevity and even new, new newer groups coming up and doing similar stuff, but having the impact of, you know, changing people's lives and inspiring them and bringing them closer to God. It's true, and, and, the, and the Maccabees are very similar because they didn't expect that. They didn't expect them to get six million hits on a, on a YouTube video that they put out and, and then the fame that followed. It, it was all Hashem, and so, so then you have to ask, so why? Why did Hashem want this to happen? Why did Hashem want Schlockrock to succeed? And the answer, obviously, is that we reach out to every type of Jew. We tell them the most important thing is Jewish pride, Jewish awareness, Jewish identity, Jewish continuity, all Jewish education. It's all... It's fun, it's informal, and it affects people's lives. Every show that I do, somebody will come up to me and say invariably that I changed their life, that I affected their life when they were growing up, when they were making decisions, how the music had an impact on them. It validates my work, and I'm sure the Maccabees now are, are going through the same thing. Well, I would say that you are certainly speaking to somebody who can say that very thing to you, um, along with uh, all of his friends and and my family growing up, and that's something we'll discuss, you know, a little bit more around the music. Um, it's kind of the different categories as I've seen them growing up and the impact they've had on me. So, how has the group evolved over time? So, in the beginning, we had six members: myself, Yona Lloyd on guitar, Gary Wallen on drums, Danny Block on sax, Mark Infield on percussion, and Mark Skyer on bass. Now, as we got older, they get they were going through school. So Dan, Danny Block was becoming a dentist. Yona Lloyd was becoming a lawyer. Mark Squire was becoming a doctor, and so on and so on. And by 1994, they were pretty much all out of the band, at least on a regular basis. And then I had what I called Schlock Rock, the next generation, which was Mo Shapiro on guitar, 
Mike Roth and Roy Weinberg are on drums. Um, Penny Rosenthal played guitar for a while. Uh, we had a lot of, you know, I, I would put in different names. And then Aton G joined the band. And the great Aton G, G, the rapper. rapper. Yes, and I put I brought him to every show for 15, 20 years. I used to bring him to all the shows, and he brought a dynamic. It was like having a, a Paul Schaefer, uh, David Letterman type situation where I was Letterman and he was Paul Schaefer. We had this interplay going back and forth. He rapped, he sang backup. And then um, the band kind of became myself, and everywhere I go, I hire locals. And the reason I had to do that was because the economy affected... Jewish music. People weren't paying any money for, uh, for for the bands anymore. They were paying less. So I had to compromise a little bit and and be able to still have the shows. But instead, what I did was I um, was that, that every city I went to, I would hire local professionals where I didn't even rehearse with them. I walked up on the stage with them. I told them just play along. It was it, it was Chuck Berry School of Musicianship. And you got some great shows that way, and um, it, it also provided that every show was going to be different. It was really kind of cool. Um, nowadays, my New York band is usually Steve Bill on guitar, Ethan Bill on drums, and um, Mark Infield still plays with me from time to time, and uh, and so on and so forth. But the, you know, obviously times have changed. The band has changed, and you know, I moved to Israel in 1996. So, you know, I have an Israel band. I like to say I have an Israel band, I have an England band, I have an Australia band, a South Africa band. Um, then I have a band in Florida and in L.A. And they're regular guys that have played with me now for 10 years. So things have changed. Would it have been nice to keep the same six guys from 1986 or from 1988? The answer is, of course, yes. But it was not a realistic, uh, you know, situation or, or possibility. So we did the best that we could. That's amazing. Have you guys ever been back together, the original six, just even, you know, hanging out, jamming, or uh, playing a show, the, 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 the original group? Not all six at the same time, but I have had as many as four. So when, when I was in Israel, when I, when I did a show in Israel and Gary was living there, Danny and Yona was living there, I, I was living there, of course I'm still living there, um, and the four of us were on stage that was very nice. I also, whenever I play Milwaukee, where Mark Skyer lives, he joins me. And, and Mark Infield joins me in the New York, New Jersey area. So we have, you know, but not all six at the same time. That would be unbelievable. So let's see. Maybe maybe if anybody can do it, I think it's the Nachum Siegel Network. So if uh, Nachum is out there and Miriam L. Wallach is out there, let's see. Uh, one day we can make that happen. Uh, so, so, so we know about the group. How did this song, you spoke a little bit about writing the songs initially, but... How did you come up with the ideas for either what songs to, I guess, parody and what the parody should be about? So, so the way the way it works is um, things. Remember, this is over a twenty-eight year period, and uh, th- over time things happen. So, like I remember writing "My Menorah." I remember writing. I remember get. Uh, I remember it just popped into my head. I remember the fast days of the year. It just popped into my head. Other songs I had to work on. Under the chuppah, I sat there with headphones listening to the lyric and, and figuring out what it should be instead. Um, you know, the, each song has got its own story. Uh, I'll give you an example. Let's take Minion Man, for example. 
um, Minion Man was uh, was sent to me by a 15-year-old boy from Memphis, Tennessee. His name was Victor Shine. Now he lives in Flatbush. He sent me the song in a different form, meaning it was not as you know it, as you listen to it. And I took the song, rearranged it, made a chorus, made three verses, orchestrated it, hired Gershon Verober to sing it, and put it in 1987 on the album Jewish Pride. Did I have any idea it was going to become humongous? No. I had no idea. We will definitely talk about Minion Man a little more. That's one of the uh, that's one of the selections. But wow, that's an inc- that's an incredible story that people just sent you the music. So um, before we move on to the music, I just want to talk about um, last weekend, um, and that is the first ever kosher halftime show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Um, I certainly take great pride in being part, even just a little bit in that. Um, and we want to thank all the sponsors, and I encourage anybody who hasn't uh, listened to it to go on NachumSiegel.com. It was really awesome. It was classic. Um, exciting schlock rock, maybe with some new faces, um, but some of the same old tunes. So how did you get involved? Um, what did you think of the whole experience? Oh, it was fantastic. And um, Nahum called me up, and he said, Lenny, can you put together a Super Bowl halftime band, a kosher halftime show Super Bowl band? And I said, sure. And then, so the, the, you know, the band was Jonathan Rimberg on keyboard, Avrami Weisberger on piano. I fronted the band. Ari Boyanju on guitar, and Ethan Bill on drums. Now, we, we filmed it in Ethan Bill's studio, so that was easy. Um, the uh, Ari Boyanju has played with me from time to time, and he is just a tremendous... You know, I love about his playing is his, his soloing is very, very um, advanced, and it, it just adds a ton to the music. Now, what about Jonathan River and Rummy Weisberger? So they are not new faces. They have been on over 15... Schlockrock album singing backup. Um, and so there, uh, why did I pick them? I picked them because I knew that when you're playing live, and this is not live in a concert, this is live in a television setting, you want to hit the notes perfectly. And, and I needed guys that were going to nail their tonality, had to be perfect. And so that's how I picked them. And that's how I put together the band. And then we recorded it. We just played it live, and it came out. Frankly, it came out fantastic. I mean, I, it, who, who would have ever thought? It was know? amazing. But the, the Super Bowl is a big deal. The halftime show at the Super Bowl. I mean, that's a big deal. That's got to be like a schlock rocket, you know, major career accomplishment. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. It ranks as the top five moments in schlock rock history. And Nachum you know? spoke a little bit about on JM in the AM about how you guys chose the songs. Um, and I, I understand that there's been some, some feedback as to good choices, not as good choices, what people wish they would have heard. So that's got to be uh, comforting. Maybe we well, need to do I, another one just to get everything in. Well, maybe when we come around again, I'm sure. But I'm sure the next year you guys are going to pick somebody else because you can't keep the same act every year. But I, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. First thing is nobody has told me you shouldn't have played this song or that song. I have not gotten anything negative. But, of course, you do get how could you not play Minion Man, or how could you not play We've Got a Strong Desire? And the answer is those were the choices that we made based on the energy level. We wanted, we wanted maximum energy. Because the thing is, is that when you're watching, and it's not a concert setting, so it's a studio setting. It wasn't like the Bruno Mars thing where you've got 70,000 people watching him with, Maybe a, with next a band, year. you know. You, you, this was you're, you're basically in a studio, but you're trying to be live, and so we ha- we tried to do this energy thing. 
where where the the five songs that we picked had tons of energy. So uh, yeah, the energy is certainly a thing, and maybe next year the NFL will call and uh, and there will be the seventy thousand uh, people there. So I guess the the best thing to do now is to to take off that energy and what. What is the energy of Schlockrock is ultimately the music. So I've picked uh, six of my favorite Schlockrock songs. We'll listen to them together, um, and then we'll discuss them with the king of Schlock himself. So we spoke about it a little bit before, um, and the first song that we'll be listening to is Minion Man. So here is Minion Man by Schlockrock. Stepped off the bus in Mobile, Alabama The sun was slowly setting on the bay It was six o'clock on a summer Friday afternoon Shabbos was an hour away I walked around the town wondering what to do Shabbos is no time to be feeling then I saw a man who looked the same way too I was quite relieved to find a fellow Jew I asked the man I saw how many Jews in this town He said to me there used to be a minion around But one of us passed away and we've been feeling down Yet now it seems as though another Jew has been found Won't you stay with us for Shabbos, Minion Man? Down Winston Avenue, a block, then two more And went into a shop that read closed on the door There was a minion in the back of a hardware store Nine men waiting for one more We ushered in the Shabbos with a beautiful song The chazan had a voice that was clear and strong we sang out as one all Shabbos long Then my riv came again, I had to be moving on I asked the man, I saw how many Jews in this town He said to me, there used to be a minion around But one of us passed away and we've been feeling down Yet now it seems as though another Jew has been found Won't you stay with us for Shabbos, Minion Man?
was twenty years ago, but the vision is clear. And I think about it now and then, 'cause the place is still dear. And when I make this trip through Mobile once every year, I remember the men who prayed here. Now the minion is gone, a few died, some moved on, but the back of the store still remembers this song. The nine men who waited, the one came along. How Shabbos was carried on a song. I asked the man, I saw how many Jews in this town. He said to me, there used to be a minion around, but one of us passed away, and we've been feeling down. Yet now it seems as though another Jew has been found. Won't you stay with us for Shabbos, Minion Man? Oh, won't you stay with us for Shabbos, Minion Man? Please, won't you stay with us for Shabbos, Minion Man? So that was Minion Man by Schlockrock.、Uh, we spoke a little bit before about. Where the inspiration came from with the、uh, young man from Memphis, but I guess you know you said before that you didn't、uh, expect for it to take off. But of all your songs, this seems to be one that has taken off in any Shabbaton you go to.、Um, I definitely across the United States. I've never been to that many Shabbatons across the world, but it, it, it probably has taken off there. So why do you think this song has taken off、uh, the way that it has? It's a funny thing. I I don't know. I just know that it is. It has transcended schlockrock. It is to the point where people don't even know that it's a schlockrock song.、Um, that's how big it's gotten.、Um, it, it, it's, it's big in South Africa. It's big in Australia. It's big in England. It's big in summer camps all over. Why? I, maybe because it touches it touches a a feeling inside that everything ends at one point. You know, shuls come and shuls go, and the new ones step up. And maybe that's the the, the message is no, nothing is forever, and it's very、um, emotional. I, I, you know, nine men waiting for one more. The shul in the back of a hardware store. There used to be a minion. There used to be, you know. Maybe the, I, I don't really know. Maybe it's the haunting melody. The maybe it's a combination. But is there a minion in the back of a hardware store in Mobile? It, well, the the video was actually filmed in Birmingham, Alabama. But and the story is made up. Oh, I got a very very funny story to tell you. Is that I once called the rabbi in Mobile, Alabama, and I wanted to get a show there because we were playing Birmingham, we were playing Montgomery, and he said to me, "We have a minion in Mobile, and you're not coming." <laughs> <laughs> they, I guess they didn't need the tenth that week.、Uh, I guess not. And also, he got Bragus because he. He said, "You know, it was like Mobile doesn't have a minion. Mobile does have a minion." He said to me, "I said, Rabbi, it's a made-up story." <laughs> so for all、uh, there, for all those out there、uh, who don't think that there's a minion in Mobile, there is.、Um, and with that,、um, I want to move to、uh, another one of my favorites,、um, and this is what I call a schlockrock educational song.、Uh, 
um, because it really teaches children, all of us, um, about what our morning routine should be and what it is all about. So our second song is Mode Ani Now. Um, again, these are some of my Schlockrock favorites. So without further ado, here is Mode Ani Now by Schlockrock. So that was Mode Ani Now by Schlockrock. Uh, we are joined by the King of Schlock himself here on the Astun Show. I am Daniel Gordon. And uh, I call that a Schlockrock educational song because it really teaches something. You walk away, and if you didn't know about the morning routine, you kind of uh, – you certainly have a better uh, sense of it now. So, uh, Lenny, what made you pick the morning, I guess, routine for this song, and uh, how did this come about? 
Well, first thing is Men at Work were one of my favorite bands in the 80s. Um, you know, they had Down Under, which the Piamentas did as Ashabara. And this song, I loved this song. I just loved it. I loved their two albums. They came out with two albums. And um, I know for a fact that... Uh, so how did I pick the idea of teaching about waking up in the morning? I think that every song that I wrote which had ed- educational value, I was learning something as well, even though I'm, you know, obviously from from birth. I guess that's not so obvious, but I'm from from birth, and I went to Yeshiva, and I've been Shomer Shabbat all my life. But, um, I, you know, I, I just, I learned stuff too, like what is the exact order, um, and... It worked out. It just, I, it just happened. There's no real uh, science behind it. I just, um, you know, all these songs, and also this one was back in 1988, so we're talking uh, 26 years ago. I don't 100% remember. All I know is that I loved Who Can It Be Now, and that is, is why I picked it. And Moda'ani now was a natural fit. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So that's certain, that, that's what I would call my favorite from the uh, educational tracks. And our next two songs, we're actually going to play two songs in a row, uh, and then we're going to come back with the King of Schlock. These two are uh, what I call Schlock Rock history songs, and they teach us something about people or Jewish history. Um, and so the next two songs are Rashi and Help Me Rambam uh, by Schlock Rock. So uh, tune in. It's going to be two songs in a row, and then we'll come back with the King of Schlock, and you're listening to the Stunt Show here on the Nakam Siegel Network with Daniel Gordon. Now, so coming up, it is Rashi and Help Me Rambam by Schlockrock. Yeah. 
Well, they lived in many towns, from Cordova to a place called Fez. Headed for the Holy Land, but they settled in Cairo instead. Lama would write so fine, had a knowledge that was divine. You know that he's the Rafa, Rabbi Moshe Ben Maimon. to God He would study day and night Then his brother died and changed his plans A doctor was straight The best physician in the land Rama wrote logically Wrote a book on astronomy You know that he's the Rama Rabbi Moshe Ben Maimon to God. So that was Rashi and Help Me Rambam by Schlockrock. Uh, and uh, Lenny, why, along with uh, a Barbanel, which is another one of my favorites, but I couldn't pick them all, did you pick these Torah giants to highlight? So I, I think that first thing is a Barbanel we started with. After a Barbanel, uh, the second album had Choni Hamagel, right? It was a, a song on, on oh, yeah, the circle one. drawer. Now, then we went to Rashi. Now, why Rashi? Because Rashi was the number one commentator. He's the one, right? Now, once we did Rashi, you had to do Rambam. I mean, it, it flowed naturally. And um, help me Ronda, help me Rambam, Wendy, Rashi, uh, my girl, Choni Hamagel, um, a Barbaran, a Barbanel. Each one of these, it was like it was made for it. Remember, when you write a song parody, you have to mirror the lyric. And it was almost like these lyrics were made to be changed. I, I, I can't explain it, but that's, that is exactly how I wrote it. 
everything flowed. Um, so, so the songs so come, I guess, it was a forward and backwards you do in some got to do Ramba. Yeah, and they also flow from, you hear the tune and it either clicks in your mind to say, this is the exact tune, or as you're thinking, oh, the next one has to be Rambam, then you all of a sudden hear, you know, help me Rhonda, and it all of a sudden just all comes together. It all came together, and not only that, I forgot to I forgot to include it on Bring Back That Shabbos Feeling, which was the album before Witchlock, the parody album before Witchlock. I did Rabbi Akiva to Lady Madonna, Rabbi Akiva. So all of it was so it, it, everything flowed syllabically. You know, it, it made perfect sense, and you know, in in the schlock in the schlock universe, it made perfect sense, and that's how it came to be. I was going to say that you make it seem so easy, um, and for those of us that uh, have certainly tried it and marvel in your in the ability of the, I guess the Schlock universe works on its own uh, on its own dimension and in, in, in all this stuff flowing seamlessly. I guess it does. I guess it does. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So, um, keeping up with the history theme, up next. Uh, it's uh, Schlockrock takes on We Didn't Start the Fire, which among you know the secular music is one of the greatest history lessons um, in the world. So the fifth song uh, we are going to go with is We Got a Strong Desire by Schlockrock. Again, uh, listen up and we will come back with the King of Schlock himself.
So that was We Got a Strong Desire. Uh, and was this a time we discussed kind of the, fo- the forwards and the backwards thinking, was this a time when you heard the original and you're like, we got to do something for this? Yes, and Billy Joel was somebody that I never touched. Billy Joel, to me, I'm going to use the term hectish. It, it, it was, it was holy. I, I, Billy Joel is the, the musician that speaks to me the most as a piano player. Um, and I never schlocked any of his songs. And the reason I schlocked this one is because this song was basically a laundry list. It was a, it was an educational laundry list. Billy Joel did it when he turned 40. Every line was from 1949 to 1989. And I did the same thing, but I did it with the Torah, starting from Adam, from Adam, and going all the way to the Intifada and Mashiach 1991 when the album came out and when the song came out. And the song was so well received and was such a big milestone in Schlockrock's career that, that we had PhD educational uh, professors writing curriculums for the entire semester based on that song. That's how did amazing. I write that song? It was unbelievable. And how did I write that song? Three, we, we sat around the table. We were at a, a leadership training seminar or a Torah leadership seminar. It was a Kirov uh, five day event. We sat around the table, myself and six people, and um, we went with that. We had history books, we had Billy Joel's lyric, we had the song, and at the end of the three days, it took us three days to write it, I unveiled it at this Shabbaton, at this convention. And um, it was so, it was unbelievable. And, and it was so, I mean, it was, it was really, uh, I, I, educationally, I don't know if there's, Another song that is as thorough, you know, you, you can learn so much from it. Absolutely, and I guess I, I certainly didn't know the Torah leadership seminar piece, but that uh, adds a whole new dimension because uh, growing up in the modern Orthodox community, Torah leadership seminars are like the thing. And uh, to know that yet another thing, uh, another momentous Jewish and uh, our community uh you know, moment uh, came from that is certainly um, well. You know, uh, it fits and it and it makes a lot of sense and it's uh, it's great and uh, it's it's literally still one of my favorites. Every time it comes on, I'm pounding the uh, the steering wheel and singing along. So uh, so I, I I guess as a fan, I have to thank you for that. And and with that, we're going to go into our last song. Um, I guess it's a young Jewish boy's dream, uh, rap. And so our final song um, that we're going to talk with the uh, King of Shock about is Yo Yo Yamaka. So this is Yo-Yo Yamaka by Schlockrock. Four, six, one, three, and I'm the big E. And we're the greatest Jewish rappers in history. We've been rapping to you for many, many years. By tradition, Jewish pride. And now it appears that it's time to elucidate about the topic of the day. Listen up, my friends, to what we have to say. Historically speaking, we've never talked about something on your head that you wear inside and out. When you make a blessing on food or abroad, you keep your head covered with a circular cloth. Yeah, 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 yamaka.
cap. Some people call it beanie. Some people call it yarmulke. Keep on Hebrew, sweetie. Some people have them knitted. Some people have them slave. Some people have the standard white they get when in first grade. Some people have the name on it in English or in Hebrew. Some people have designs like X's, all zeros. Some people wear the hats of the Yankees. All the Mets. Some people wear the helmets of the Giants. All the Jets. Yeah, 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 yarmulke. Yo yo yamaka. I guess it's very simple, King of Schlock. How, why, rap, and uh, schlock rock? Very simple. Rap was humongous. It still is, but it was humongous back then. Now, I started off with Bless On It, Boogie in the Shoe on the first album, then I went to Wash This Way. Finally, I started to think, you know what? This isn't so hard to write. I could write my own rap. And that's how oh, we also had rap in Jewish. That was the beginning of writing our own raps. That came on the Jewish Pride album. And then. I, I wrote Yo-Yo-Yo Yarmulke, and Yo-Yo-Yo Yarmulke was such a brilliant, I don't want to say brilliant because it, it sounds arrogant, but it was, it was such a, a natural, it was so natural because, you know, first thing is you taught about the Yarmulke, second thing it tied into Jewish pride, and, and it was so well received, and it was so easy to write, I can't even tell you, it was very easy to write, a little bit of research, and it all came out, I, I don't know, I know, it, it, you know, you probably sit sitting there and saying it's easy to write but it, it, it was it, it was just it just came out and then it not only it was so popular it made it into the trivial pursuit game in 1993 the all-american edition of trivial pursuit there was a question on yo 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 yamaka amazing on the same card on the same card with joe namath with gone with the wind i mean i called up Parker Brothers, I said, how did we get into your game? They said, either somebody who writes the questions likes you, or you've been in the media so much that 
you're you're ending up on their desk and they put you into the game. Wow. So yo 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 Yamaka got us into trivial pursuit. Wow, wow, wow. So before I let you go, because this is my uh my monthly show on the stunt show and everybody knows I love country music. Why no schlock rock country music? Oh, I love country music too. I just haven't, I, you know, I don't know. It just hasn't happened. Maybe uh, we have to do a whole country album. I, that would be that? awesome, and I certainly uh, would love to give you um, some some of my favorites, and it would be amazing. So, um, thank you so much, um, King of Schlock, uh, for joining us, and all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show. Anytime, seriously, anytime. So, uh, with keeping up with the Schlockrock theme, this month's song that I will reflect upon is the Schlockrock classic, Two Night All Jews. Um, if you can, stop what you're doing and pause for four minutes and 50, 57 seconds. Take it all in. I will react afterwards. In our sole allegation, switch to the Middle East, where tensions continue to mount in the Israeli-occupied territories of Gaza. Today, Israeli troops guarding the holy city of Hebron were met with a hail of rocks and glass bottles as they drove by Marata Machpelah, historical burial ground of the Jewish patriarchs. No serious injuries were reported. Sources close to the Israeli government say there is no solution in sight. See the stones thrown through the sky. See the enemy on all sides. And we're waiting for you. It's our land and it's our faith. How much longer can we wait? And we're waiting for you to unite all Jews, to unite all
That was To Unite All Jews by Schlockrock. Of all the Schlockrock classics, this song seems to me to be the most timeless. It's timeless because as Jews we are constantly hoping and praying for our unity and for the coming of Mashiach. While the state of Israel's establishment and continued survival is nothing short of a miracle, it also serves as a constant reminder of just how divided our people are. When we read the headlines and blogs, we are reminded that all too often our people are better at division than we are at multiplication, that we are too quick to judge others and fight for and against what we are and are not and can and cannot do, instead of banding together to fulfill our common purpose. How often do we look to our right and to our left and pass judgments instead of passing love and warmth? How often do we close our doors to others who we don't agree with instead of opening our hands to those who are from our people? While we have come a long way since the trials and tribulations of the Shoah, have we forgotten that all of our ancestors, regardless of who they were or what they believe in, stood together as Jews as Hitler took their lives? How do we recapture that Ki'ish Echad Belev Echad mentality that was required of us to become who we were at Har Sinai and who we must become to bring Mashiach? I don't know the answers, but I know that we can all, myself included, do a lot better. Coming up next, it's Throwback Thursday. Tune in next week at this time for the next edition of The Stunt Show with Mayor Ferdig. Thanks once again to my childhood idol, the king of schlock himself, Lenny Solomon. If you haven't watched or listened to it yet, I encourage everyone listening to go to NahumSiegel.com to enjoy the first ever kosher halftime show. It quite literally schlock rocked. As always, I welcome your honest feedback and comments at DanielNachamSiegel.com. I hope you have gained something from this hour, and I hope that this show will gain its inspiration and content from you, the listeners. As always, and in honor of Sharsheret Pink Day Worldwide, coming up this Wednesday, February 12, 2014, I close with my very favorite quote from the late, great Jimmy Valvano, basketball coach, cancer fighter, and founder of the Jimmy V Foundation for Cancer Research and inspiration to so many. There are three things we all should do every day. Number one is laugh. Number two is think. And number three is have your emotions move to tears. Could be happiness or joy, but think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. That's how I try to live my life, and I hope this hour has been as special for you as it's been for me. See you next month. Goodbye.